Thank you for your welcome, Alex. It's uh, good to be in Knox this morning. I first came to this church 24 years ago. Uh, Jim Burney brought me on one of my visits to Canada in the late uh, 90s and early 2000s when I spoke at a number of InterVarsity events when we were still living in Scotland before we went to New Zealand. It's quite interesting to me to be at a church called Knox because having grown up in Scotland, I'd never come across a church called Knox before. It's just like when you go to different places in the world, you find statues of Robert Burns that are bigger than any that exist in his homeland. But since being here, when we went to New Zealand, our home church in New Zealand is also Knox Presbyterian Church. So I bring greetings from Knox at the ends of the earth to um, what I guess you regard as the mothership of all Knox churches globally. So it's, uh, it's good to be here. I also appreciate the history that this church has had in supporting InterVarsity, both through Pioneer Camp and Campus Ministry, and for the way that you support Nikki and our partnership with her and the impact she is having in this, uh, in this community. We are grateful for your prayers and for your financial support and the different ways that you volunteer and partner with us. So I know I'm among friends this morning, so thank you for your welcome. If you want the executive summary of what I'm going to say this morning, it is very simply this, that God wants to give us a bigger horizon of hope of what he can do in us and through us than our experience to this point might lead us to believe is possible. That we all have a sense of what God might do in us and through us. But God, I believe, always wants to do more in us and through us. And it's his word that makes the critical difference. So the passage that Daniel read from John chapter 5 this morning, that was a passage that I chose to speak on at my commissioning when I started in this role with InterVarsity five years ago. And it's really because it speaks of this higher horizon of hope that God calls us to. It's a story about a guy on a train going through Scotland. It's one of these old-fashioned trains with compartments. And there was four people in this compartment. There was a rather attractive young woman. There was an old lady there was a young male student and his older male lecturer who were going to a course together. And as the train went across the moors, the young woman was sitting reading, the old lady was sitting knitting, the young student was sitting listening, and the lecturer was talking and talking and talking and talking. Due course, the train went into a tunnel and the entire compartment was shrouded in darkness. And in the darkness, there was a loud kiss followed by an enormous smack. What had happened? Well, the old lady thought she knew. Good for her, she thought. That young chap's kissed that young girl and she slapped him. That's fantastic. The young woman thought she knew. How amusing, she thought. That young chap's tried to kiss me, kissed the old lady by mistake, and she's belted him. That's hilarious. The lecturer thought he knew. 
How unfair, he thought. My students kissed that young girl. She thought it was me and has belted me. And only the student knew what had actually happened. When the train had gone into the tunnel, he kissed the back of his own hand, belted his lecturer, and got away with it. (laughs) Now, the moral of that story is that the people thought they knew what was going on based on the limit of their experience, but they were confused by the darkness. There was a different narrative from what they had seen. The narrative that John tells in John chapter 5 takes place in a place just outside Jerusalem. It's a pool surrounded by five covered colonnades. And John tells us that a great number of disabled people were gathered there. The blind, the sick, the lame. It's a kind of human garbage jump. People are taken there so that they're out of sight and out of mind. There's a festival going on of the Jewish people, but none of these folk can join in because they're excluded because of their uncleanness and their infirmity. The reason that they have been taken there is that there is a legend that when the pool bubbles up, the first person in is healed. So they're there because they have a little hope of what might be possible. So periodically, the, the noise will come up. The pool's bubbling, the pool's bubbling. And they'll roll or crawl or their friends will kind of take them and, and, and throw them. And the first person in the confusion may be, may be healed. Jesus, in Jerusalem for the festival, comes into this place. He's not in the temple. He's in the rubbish dump. He's working with the people on the margins. And he comes into this environment with its smell and with its sounds and with its sight. And he notices one person who has been there for 38 years. This is how God works in the world, in history and today. Jesus comes into the world to seek and to save the lost with a concern for individuals and singling people out because of his love for them. Religion is about human beings in search of God. Jesus is God in search of human beings coming into the world, coming to do what we couldn't do ourselves, to bring forgiveness and life and hope and joy. Jesus comes up to the man, probably bent down like Daniel did in the reading, and asks him a simple question. Do you want to get well? Now, the answer to that question, which you would imagine might even be a rhetorical question, you would imagine could be, yes, please. That would be fantastic. I would very much like to be well. Thank you for asking. But what the man says is, Sir, there is no one to help me get into the pool. So he has an infirmity of lameness that has seen him stuck in this place for 38 years. 
But the experience of being in that environment for that long has conditioned him about what the most that he can hope for might be. And the most that he can hope for is that somebody might help him get into the pool. That is the limit of his hope. So those 38 years have conditioned him to find it hard to engage with the word of God and with the offer that Jesus is extending. We work with many people in Canada and around the world who have been conditioned in different ways, which puts a horizon on what they believe God might be able to do in and through them. So the experience of secularism has conditioned people to believe that faith is, is irrational. The experience of pluralism has rendered unique faith untenable on cultural grounds. The growing polarity that we experience in the, in the world has made truth a casualty of what might be possible. And tribalism takes the place of listening to what God has to, to say and what God might be able to do. We have a millennial generation who have been hurt by the church and who are skeptical of leadership in all its forms, whether it's political or ecclesiastical. We have a generation behind that who have grown up believing that conflict is a very negative thing. So do not want to assert the uniqueness of, of Jesus over what somebody else might believe or challenge somebody's behavior that might be different from their own. We have a generation younger than that, Generation Alpha, who are up to the age of 13, who are probably the most protected generation outside of the home and the least supervised generation in the home that there has, that there has been. And that generation significantly struggles with resilience. So what we are about as InterVarsity, what we are about as the Church of Christ in Canada today, is being those who take the Word of God to people who find it hard to hear because their ears have been blocked up by their experience. And the good news in this story in John 5 is that Jesus is not deflected by the man's articulation of what he believes the most that Jesus can do for him is. Jesus calls him to do three impossible things. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And what happens is the man experiences healing. He experiences regeneration at a molecular level. Imagine how wasted his muscles are after 38 years of being horizontal. Imagine the, the challenge of getting up. You know, Ilsa will tell you that most mornings the, the challenge of getting from a horizontal to a vertical position is quite difficult for me. And I've only been lying down for, for eight hours. Been lying down for 38 years, it's a significantly different kind of thing to, to get up and then to pick up your mat and start, and start walking. No matter what you think the most that you might be capable of, the power of God, the word of God at work in you can enable you to do more. 
And part of the problem that we, that we have, I think, in the church in the West today is that we have developed too small a picture of what God might do in us and through us, what God might do in our families, what God might do in our communities, what God might do in our, in our workplace, what God might do through sport or through the arts, how the church might have a significant impact in Canadian society because we've become conditioned to the sense of what might be possible because of what we've seen over the last 38 years. But God is the God of history. God is the God who comes in from outside. God is the God who speaks differently. God is the God who speaks hope and truth and life. And as soon as the guy is up and walking about, some religious leaders come to him and say, don't you know it's the Sabbath? The law forbids you to carry your mat on the Sabbath. By which they don't mean something that you can find in the Ten Commandments. What they mean is the addendums that they have put onto the commandments and what that kind of means in, in practice. And the guy says, um, the man who made me well told me to pick up my mat and walk. You might notice there's two halves to that uh, statement. There's a man who made me well part, and there's a told me to pick up my mat part. And what the Pharisees do is they kind of say, the man who made you well, somebody's made you well, gosh, that's fantastic. Tell us more about that. Let's celebrate together. This is terrific news. This must be God at work in our, in our midst. Not a bit of it. They completely blank that part of the, the statement. And they say, who told you to pick up your mat? Jesus has raised this person up. The religious leaders want to push him back down again. And it's interesting that for them too, their experience of life, their experience of God, their experience of religion has put a horizon on what they are able to see. That they are not able to identify that God is at work in this person because it doesn't fit within the rules and the regulations that they have learned and they believe are important if you're going to please God. Sometimes people who grow up in churches or who grow up in, in a religious framework can be just as lost as people who, who grow up outside that world. I was talking to somebody uh, yesterday who had grown up in a church-going family and they had uh, family Bible times every day, went to church twice every, every Sunday. And he basically, by the time he was in his teens, had become an agnostic and then an atheist and was resolutely opposed to what was going on. Some relatives came to visit who had become Christians and they shared the good news with his parents and they came to a living faith and they explained to him at breakfast the next morning 
we have committed our life to the Lord Jesus. And the guy I was talking to, he said, my heart sank within me. I thought, it's all going to get worse now. It's going to ramp up a, a notch. And what his parents said to them was, they said, um, from now on, you can decide if you want to come to church or not. You can decide if you want to read the Bible or not. Because we've recognized that if God isn't calling you to do this, then it's just going to, to, to be nothing in your, in your life. And over the next couple of years, as he saw the change in his parents and saw them becoming more gracious, more joyful, more, more enthusiastic about, uh, about God, that was what really started to soften his heart and started him on the journey of coming to faith. Parable of the prodigal son is really a parable about two lost brothers. The prodigal son who goes away, but the older brother who stays at home. And while the, while the younger son dismisses the father, the older brother distorts the father. He distorts his nature. So when the son comes back, he complains. You know, I've been here working my guts out all this time. And this son of yours has come back and you've given him all this, all this stuff. And the father says, it's all right. He's your brother. I'm your father. So we need to be aware that there are different things that stop us seeing clearly who God is and what God is doing in the world. And we need to be those who are agents of truth and mercy and reconciliation, recognizing that we won't always get an initial hearing or the response that we want to, we want to see. I was speaking at a university mission a few years ago, and at the end, this guy came up to me and said, I really dislike what you, what you said. And I said, um, Sorry to, sorry to hear that. He said, and another thing, why were you mumbling away from that book? I said, well, sorry, I didn't think I was mumbling. I was trying to read from one of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life because I think there's too many people in the world telling you what to believe and how to behave and what to think. And I think it's important you're able to discover Jesus for yourself. He said, look, we get enough of books during the week in, in class. What qualifications do you have for doing this anyway? And I said, well, I've not really got any qualifications. I was just invited to do this by some, by some, uh, by some students. So it's a great message. I wouldn't pretend to be adequate to the task. I said, so you admit to being inadequate. That's even worse. I said, look, do us all a favor. If you ever get asked to do something like this again, just say no, okay? And he stormed off through to the bar to have a, to have a drink. <laughs> I, told, I told that story at our, 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 our church, and one of the elders came up to me at the end and said, I wouldn't be too worried about what that guy said. You're a much better speaker than you used to be. Which, <laughs> which wasn't really the point of the story. The point of the story is that there was something going on in that person's life that God was speaking to him and it was challenging him. And that is the, that's the nature 
of this sharing of the good news that it will produce a response. Some will be saved, some will reject, and many will want to hear more about it going, going forward. It's interesting that Jesus melts into the crowd. This isn't the time for a confrontation with the Pharisees. And what he does is, at the end of the passage that Daniel read, he finds the man. The man is in the temple. He is now able to join in with the festival that he has been excluded from. And Jesus comes to him and he affirms the work of God in his life. See, you are well again. And this is something quite curious. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Stop living for yourself. Have a reorientation to God. He's kind of pointing forward to his death and resurrection. Something worse could happen to you? What could be worse than 38 years on a human rubbish dump? Answer, eternity without God. And Jesus cares for the guy to follow him up that a relationship is established in the second contact. One of the things that I um, came to realize when I was coaching in New Zealand is that people need to see a lot of me if they're going to see a little of Jesus. People need to see a lot of me if they're going to see a little of Jesus. That's partly because I'm not a very good representation of Jesus, and it's partly because people start a long way back. So over time, whether it's in, in work or in family or in community, you begin to accrue in people's lives as they see you over time, they see more of Jesus. Problem in the church is we often want to do the reverse. We want people to see a lot of Jesus based on seeing a little of me. So we do this kind of hit and run approach where we occasionally share our faith and, and try and drag people into something that's going, that's going on. And we often wind up presenting as being fairly weird because like, where did this come from? What, what's this all about? I had no idea you were thinking like this or talking like, talking like that. But it's over time how we begin to communicate the good news of Jesus. It doesn't just happen in the one-off encounter. It comes in the second encounter. It comes in the conversations that, that take place. The other thing that I find intriguing about this passage is that there is a lot of people at the pool of Bethesda and Jesus only heals one of them. What's going on there? I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know that God consistently reveals himself as somebody who cares for the individual. And for me, that's helpful because the question isn't whether I can reach anybody, it's whether I can reach somebody, everybody, whether I can reach somebody. It's not whether I can, I can love everybody, it's whether I can love somebody. And who is the somebody that God is calling me to have compassion on, to, to speak God's word to, so that I'm ready to give an account for the hope that I have with gentleness and respect. But the other dimension of it is that the tense in those opening sentences is also interesting. 
Now you notice in the reading, John says, there is in Jerusalem a pool surrounded by five color colonnades where a great number of disabled people used to lie. By the time that John is writing, the people aren't there anymore. Certainly not in the numbers that they were then. I don't know how that came to be, but I know that there was another place that developed in Jerusalem with colonnades where there was a possibility of healing and forgiveness and mercy and blessing and new life. And that was the early church. And I, I like to imagine people being taken from the pool to the church with a higher horizon of hope. Don't stay here waiting for the bubbles. Come and discover Jesus. There's more here than, than there. The thing that you've been fixated on as being the source of hope and life, that's actually empty. There is something bigger and better on offer in the person of Jesus found in the community of God's people in the early church. Kind of imagine the last, the last couple of people at the pool. Well, I've got a pretty good chance now. Yeah, but everybody's gone up the road. They haven't really come back. Or you can stay, I'm going. Or when we get someone to take us together. But the things that become the focus and the longing of desire at different points in history, they will always be superseded by something else. So the things that people believe, this is the key. If I could just get this in the here and now, then my life would be good. Those things ultimately are all bankrupt because the only thing that is of eternal truth and significance and value is what God has done through his death and resurrection, the treasure that is stored up for us in heaven that we can access a foretaste of now and the hope that draws us forward. Death is perhaps the, the greatest leveler of that in practice, is that no matter what you accrued on your way through life, you're not taking anything with you when you go. It's only stuff that's stored up in heaven. It's only the eternal life that we find in Christ Jesus. One of the things that I um, say sometimes when I'm talking to students is that Frosh Week or New Student Orientation is one of my favorite um, weeks in the year because students um, are all kind of brand new and trying to find the world. And they basically ask the same questions all the time. What's your name? Where are you from? What are you doing here? Would you like a free gift? Because you can get a lot of free stuff when you start at, at university. You know, you could have a t-shirt printed that said, um, Nigel, English, Edinburgh, yes please. And it would obliviate the need for conversation altogether. Just go, <coughs> and I got to wondering, you know, what would, what would the encounter with Jesus be like within that framework? What would Jesus say to, to you? I know your name. I know where you're from. I know what you're doing here. Would you like a free gift? The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. What would I say to Jesus? 
What's your name? Jesus Christ. What are you doing here? What I've always been doing, reconciling lost men and women to the God who made them and knows them and loves them. Where are you from? Well, originally, I was with God in heaven. Through me, all things were made that have been made. Then I came to earth, I was born in a stable, I worked as a carpenter, I had three years of public ministry, the end of which I was put to death on the cross, I rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, where I'm seated now at the right hand of the throne of the glory of God, from where I will come in the future to judge the living and the dead and usher in a glorious new kingdom that will last forever. Oh, I'm from Etobicoke. (laughs) Would you like a free gift? don't know what have you got you see we don't actually have anything and that's why we need that free gift that's why we need God to show us that he can do more in us and through us than we could possibly imagine God bless you as his word and his power are at work in and through you and as that spreads out to the people around to bring a new perspective and a new horizon of hope There are a couple of reflection questions. Uh, So these are, which of the characters by the pool do you identify with the most? So that's uh, Jesus, the paralyzed man, the lame man, the, the Pharisees. And what experiences are limiting your horizons and preventing you from engaging with God's call on your life? And remember the man, it wasn't just the issues that he had, it was the way that he was beginning to think about those issues and how it boxed in what God might be able to do in and through him. So a couple of minutes to think about those, uh, those two things. <laughs>